0: Smarties, today we are beyond honored and excited to welcome Dr. Peg Dawson to the podcast. You guys know Peg Dawson. She has written the books on executive function skills. And as we talk about in this podcast, why she calls them executive skills, which totally makes sense. And we're going to be changing the name of our series to executive function skills from here on out. And we're so excited to talk to her about... What led her to the exploration of executive function skills, her framework for supporting executive skills, and the difference between foundational and advanced executive skills. Steph and I are both doing this opening today because it was such a monumental episode for us right after episode 200. And I just wanted to publicly thank Steph for her goal-directed persistence and getting... (laughs) Dr. Peg Dawson on the podcast because it was truly a coup and you'll hear us totally girl crushing over her, but it was truly a masterclass. And it was such an honor to be able to have this conversation with her. Steph, I am curious, what were your key takeaways
1: from this conversation with her? Number one, I have to say, to tell everybody, When she agreed to do this, she said to me, I had asked her a long time ago. And when she came back and I asked her again, she said she admired my goal-directed persistence. Mm -hmm. You guys, the verbiage (laughs) is just so on point. It made me so happy inside that she used that language.
0: I love that she said no, too, because no is a
1: complete sentence. She did say no originally. But she opened the door for you to go back, and you did. That's what I do. So I guess my takeaways is her breaking down the foundational skills and the advanced skills. Mm -hmm. That I think was really, really important. Really helpful. And I didn't really think about them like that prior. So I think that's going to be something that's really going to direct a lot of my future conversations with my team and I'm sure you too, and with my clients and parents and Uh teachers and all of that. So I think that's the biggest takeaway I have. What about you?
0: First of all, I loved the opportunity that this podcast affords us to get to ask questions, Mm -hmm. to get to ask questions of why executive skills, why not executive functioning? And her answer was so clear. I was thinking that same thing. I know you were. And I was like, I just need to ask when else am I given the opportunity to be in front of an expert of this caliber? Yes. And so I'm just grateful for this podcast for giving me that opportunity personally. And I loved her answer so much. I loved that we got to talk to her about the word lazy and why that's such a trigger word. And, you know, I really, really appreciated the conversation that we had on Patreon as well. On Patreon, we talked to her about what COVID made her realize about executive skills. And I thought that was a really interesting conversation to have um, because I agree Yeah, But I hadn't thought about it in such a concrete way. And as you know, Steph, I love when people come on the podcast and it feels like I'm in a college class again. And that's what this episode and the Patreon conversation felt like for me. And then the other thing that I really appreciated about our conversation on Patreon is she talked about how her work informed parenting and how parenting informed her work. Mm-hmm. And that was really, really nice to be able to have that dialogue with her as well. If you are not yet a part of our Patreon, go to www.patreon.com slash podcast. You can get access to that extended conversation with Dr. Peg Dawson and all the previous earlier extended conversations for $5 a month donation that supports the work that we do here on the podcast. And as a reminder, if you want early access to episodes, because you guys know we are done in advance, especially now that you know that we recorded six months so that I could have a six month maternity leave. You can also (laughs) get episodes a week early, and that is for a $10 a month donation. And yes, you still... We'll get access to all those earlier conversations. You can scroll back on everything that we have posted on Patreon. So honored to have Dr. Peg Dawson on the podcast. I hope she will come back one day.
1: Maybe she will, but you know what? I think this is one of those episodes where you guys sit back, listen, take it in, and then listen again.
0: Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer you have to learn smarter the educational therapy podcast
1: hi smarties welcome to episode 201 of learn smarter the educational therapy podcast i'm stephanie pitts and i'm rachel Cap. and today we have peg dawson with us hi peg hello everyone nice hey. to be here yay <laughs> yay <laughs> <laughs>
0: We've been very excited. Steph sent me a text when uh, you agreed, and she's like, I got picked off, I was so excited. So thank you for taking the time to come on with us. We're very honored to have you, and um, why don't we start off by having you tell us who you are, what you do, and who you do it for.
2: Okay, sure. So my background is school psychology. I worked for 16 years as a school psychologist in the public schools in Maine and New Hampshire, which is area I'm from. And then I joined my colleague and ultimately my co-author, a guy named Dr. Guare or Dick Guare. Uh, we had a private practice for a while, and then we merged with the local community mental health center uh, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and, and that Seacoast Mental Health Center, where we both work on a very part-time basis at this point. So in that work, I spent much of my career doing assessments for kids with learning and attention problems. And that's what brought me to executive skills, particularly working with kids with ADHD. I fairly quickly realized that the American Psychiatric Association's diagnostic criteria for ADHD, which is problems with attention or problems with hyperactivity, impulsivity, or both, really didn't begin to describe the problems I saw these kids having. I saw huge problems with time management and planning and organization and those kinds of things. And I remember talking to my colleague Dick about it at the time. Now, he and I both did our doctoral work at the University of Virginia, although we were there at different times. But he went on to do a postdoc in neuropsychology at Children's Hospital in Boston So as I was describing these issues, he said, well, Peg, those are executive skills. Well, this was the late 80s, early 90s, and people were not using that term much in those days. So Dick and I decided we really wanted to understand this field a whole lot better. We wanted to know what are these skills to develop, what's going on in the brain, how do they impact school performance? And most importantly, how do you help kids with weak executive skills become more successful students? And so that's what led to our writing. And we've written any number of books now on executive skills geared to different audiences. The first one we wrote was for professionals called Executive Skills in Children and Adolescents. That one is now into its third edition. But after writing that, we realized there was a huge role for parents and all of this. So that's what led us to write Smart But Scattered. Uh, And more recently, Smart But Scattered Teens. Um, We've also written a couple books aimed more at an adult population. We have a book on coaching. We have a planner that goes along with our coaching model. And I guess the one other thing I should mention, just because it often comes up in conversations, at the same time I was doing all this professionally, I was raising two kids of my own. I have two sons who are now well into adulthood, but my older son at the age of 14 was diagnosed with an attention disorder. So I actually feel like a lot of what I've learned about executive skills, particularly on the intervention side, has come as much from my experience as a mom as my experience as a psychologist. And I do a lot of parent presentations. And what I tell parents is the nice thing about being the mom of one of these kids is you get the longitudinal perspective and you get to see what they look like when they grow up. It's true. And I tell my audiences all the time, most of these kids turn out fine. Uh, You know, some need a little help along the way, and certainly ed therapists are a great source for that assistance. I've done a couple of workshops in, uh, I think, California and Texas for ed therapists, and we don't have many of those in the Northeast. So when I first started doing those workshops and talking with people about what is ed therapy anyway, I realized, oh, it's such a nice fit for our work and for getting our work to kids and to schools, you know, to get them the help they need. So that's sort of it in a nutshell.
1: Yeah. I love you saying most kids. Yes. (laughs) Just fine. Yes. Let's just repeat that for everybody. Most kids turn out just fine. Yeah. Cause they're so worried. I get it though. Yeah. Your book is like the Bible of executive functioning skills, (laughs) right? This is where everybody starts. Everybody gets the foundation from you. So one of the things that we're really interested in is how they show up in school and daily living because they go hand in hand and a lot of people don't realize they go hand in hand. So what do you tell parents who are experiencing a lot of struggle at home or the kids aren't doing as well as they hope in the classroom?
2: Yeah, and that's a really good question because they may show up differently at home and at school. Sometimes parents see it more than schools do, particularly in the early years. Because in a way, what schools do is they provide additional structure and support for kids. So they sort of scaffold what they're asking kids to do. And so some of these kids can get by for a while in school with just what teachers do naturally in the classroom. But parents are often seeing it at home. So I actually, when I'm doing an evaluation and interviewing parents, I'm asking them a whole lot more about what's going on at home than what's going on at school. Mm -hmm. I do ask them about school and I collect a lot of information from the school as well, because that's really important. But the question I ask parents to get at what's going on at home, I ask them about homework, of course, because kids need higher level executive skills to do homework, especially if they're expected to do it independently, then they need to do schoolwork. So you're going to see problems there. I ask about daily routines, like how does your child handle getting ready for school in the morning or getting ready for bed or handling meal times? Because all of those require some critical executive skills. I ask about chores. Mm-hmm. Our kids asked to do chores? I mean, I'm sort of a big believer in chores because it's a great way to learn executive skills. Mm-hmm. I mean, it takes time and effort to make kids do chores. Yes. And with busy parents, that extra time is something they feel like they don't have to put in. And so they end up doing four kids, you know, the kinds of things that kids probably need to learn to do on their own. Those are the basic sort of venues where executive skill challenges will present themselves at home. And then, of course, I'm getting further information. I mean, when I'm doing an interview, I'm not just asking about executive skills in general. I'm trying to pinpoint what executive skills are we talking about. So if the kid's bedroom is a disaster, I'm immediately thinking organization, If the kid is continually forgetting to bring stuff to or from school or forgetting instructions for homework, then I'm thinking working memory. If the kid is leaving homework till just before bedtime, then I'm thinking, oh, this sounds like a problem with task initiation. So all of those questions I'm asking parents are also helping me sort of zero in on, okay, which executive skills are the biggest concern? And then, you know, what do we do about them?
0: Let's take a step back, even though we're sure that our audience has read your books. (laughs) Can you give us an overview of the executive skills as you see them? Okay, sure. So
2: first of all, their brain-based skills. I'm sure, I mean, again, if people have read our books at all, they know that. They managed out of the frontal lobes of the brain, which is the part of the brain right behind the forehead. Another really important piece of information for both parents and teachers to understand is these skills take 25 years at a minimum to reach full maturation. Yeah. And any child who's dealing with an attention disorder or any other kind of neurodevelopmental learning disorder, that's going to be delayed beyond that. There are a lot of different frameworks for labeling, organizing, defining executive skills. Where Dick and I started was we started with this question of all the skills that are out there that people are talking about. Which ones are the most critical for school success? And could we define a pool of those skills that didn't go overboard? Because when you read the research, the range in terms of number is one to thirty-three. <laughs> I mean, some of the early researchers maintain there's really only one executive skill. We call it the central executive. At the opposite end of the extreme, a guy named George McCloskey has developed a rating scale where he's assessing thirty-three different executive skills. Well. We didn't want to overwhelm people, either parents or teachers, because our message is if kids aren't acquiring these skills naturally, then we need to explicitly teach the skills and we need to give the kids the opportunity to practice them. Yes. So I can't ask anybody to teach 33 skills. Yeah. <laughs> and luckily, most kids have some skills that are stronger than others. So you can zero in on the skills that are problematic. The reason they're called executive skills is because they're the skills required to execute tasks. That's where the executive part comes in. But my favorite definition, I teach a class at the University of Southern Maine every summer. And I think it was in the first class I taught. I had a second grade teacher in the class who was trying to figure out how do I explain executive skills to second graders? And -hmm. what she came up with is they're the skills you need to get things done. Yeah, (laughs) which is such a great way Mm -hmm. of describing it. So it's not we often think about school as taking in knowledge and taking in learning. Executive skills require you to put out what you've learned. And so, again, it's task initiation, sustained attention, you know, response inhibition, the ability to manage your impulses, time management, planning organization, emotional control, being able to manage your emotions. And then at the upper end, which we really don't expect with kids. I mean, they begin to emerge around middle school or later is things like metacognition and goal-directed persistence.
1: You know, I like to call school learning how to adult. And I think when you say that to kids, they're a little bit more, oh, okay. That makes a little more sense.
0: It's more applicable, right? Because
1: yeah. that's where they want to go, right? <laughs> so <laughs> right. they all want to be adults. So I have to say, It takes a lot. We know that. It takes all the things working simultaneously in order to be independent or successful in school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And being behind in some of these skills, especially with kids that have ADHD, is very, very normal. I mean, I don't know what other word to use, but like expected. Mm -hmm.
0: At my practice, CAP Educational Therapy Group, we focus on learners who either have ADHD and Or executive functioning challenges. And one of the things that you teach about. Our best practices. So, you have a student who is really struggling in school. What are the best practices as you see it in the modern world, in terms of helping them sort of strengthen those executive skills?
2: We sort of hammer this home in our books. You start by modifying the environment to basically make it more supportive or less punishing for kids. So, if you've got a kid who keeps forgetting instructions. Ultimately, you want to give them strategies for remembering better. But in the meantime, you don't want to make them feel terrible for always forgetting instructions. So you modify the environment by giving them a visual, by giving them the instructions one piece at a time, by giving them checklists. So that's where you start. Just assuming, okay, this kid's got weak working memory and we need to put in supports around that so he can be successful, basically. And then we look at okay. okay, so if this kid is weak in the skill, how can we teach the skill? How can we help the child learn the skill? We never do that in the abstract. We're always doing that in the context of what the kid needs to do anyway. Every once in a while, someone would say to me, I'm going to start an executive skill summer camp. And I always sort of pull back when they say that because I think, hmm, that's sort of learning the skills in isolation. I'm sure ed therapists have discovered this. The best way is when you're helping the kid do something he has to do anyway. Yep a homework assignment or getting through a class assignment or figuring out how to keep his stuff organized, it has to be real to the kid. And if you impose an extra layer of, okay, now we're going to practice working memory in a totally useless situation, and mm-hmm. nobody's invested in that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
2: And then the one other piece we throw in there, because basically executive skills are habit acquisition. We're learning habits. And in the early stages of learning a habit, it's hard work. It's depleting. It takes a lot of energy. It's not much fun. And so, we will very often throw in incentives to entice kids to do the hard work of practicing to get better at it, because we assure them, if you practice, you will get better. We know that's how the brain works. The longer you practice something, the easier it is to do it, the less brain power you're using to get stuff done. And so if we can build in incentives and whenever possible, we rely on pretty simple incentives. Like, okay, is there something really fun you want to do as soon as you get done with whatever you have to do here for practice? oh, you want to do that? Okay, so keep that in the back of your mind because that's going to be the fun thing you'll be getting to very shortly in terms of letting kids know, wow, I saw you working really hard to control your temper. I mean, sometimes we'll have parents and kids develop point systems where they get to earn points for the various things that they're, like if they're practicing getting their homework started before five o'clock in the evening, they might get a point for that if they're getting points for keeping their room clean, and then those points can translate into incentives, but so there are varying levels here, but our favorite is, you know, keep it simple. A lot of parents are resistant to the idea of using incentives because mm-hmm. um, they think the kids should want to do it anyway. And so I, that's where I start talking about, you know, this is tough work. This is hard work. And so we just want to make it a little easier by making it a little more fun. So that's basically it. I mean, we have strategies for individual executive skills, but that's the basic framework of how we approach it.
1: Now, quick question. What about students who even though you set up incentives still don't have the drive to do it
2: <laughs> i mean that's an interesting way of thinking about it because when the child's not doing something there are two ways of thinking about it are they not doing it because they can't do it or because they won't do it our default is always because they can't do it mm-hmm. so even though people use words like drive and motivation. We step back and say, do we really know for sure that this kid is capable of doing that long enough to be successful? Yeah. Because
1: oh my gosh, I love that.
2: You know, any kid can start something, especially if we're there prompting them to start. But can they stick with it long enough to achieve success? The other piece of our model, which we've started emphasizing even more in recent years, is really engaging the child in deciding what they want to work on and what they want to try to get better at rather than mm-hmm. imposing a goal on them i mean obviously sometimes we have to do the school work that needs to get done their assignments etc right whenever possible if we engage the child in okay where do you want to start what do you want to work on and let's, mm-hmm. let's see if we can figure out a game plan so that, that can happen
1: i love you saying that yay <laughs> that's good to hear Because that's what we do. A lot of times as a therapist, parents come in and want us to do things in a certain order and in a certain way. And we firmly believe we have to start in a place that makes sense for the child. So you saying that just even more affirms it. So thank you.
0: And I want to go back to one of the examples that you gave, which is just getting homework started before 5 p.m. That's such a small nugget of a goal. And a lot of parents are like, we want homework done before dinner. And we have to break it down so that it's easily achievable and the kid has buy-in for it as well. So I loved it when you said that example. I'm like, yes, this is what the parents need to hear you know, journey of a thousand miles, as my dad would always say to me.
2: And I think the other thing which parents don't often recognize is that getting started is hard and you can practice that by itself. In fact, it was a teacher coaching seminar every year. And one of the coaches who took my class last year was working with a teenager. She was ambitious, really struggling, low income family, single parent, financial issues the family was dealing with and when they realized that task initiation was one of her weaker skills her coach said to her okay so we'll just practice getting started and so we're going to start with something really simple and really easy but you make a plan for what you're going to start and when you're going to start it and the girl was like surprised you mean i can just practice getting started oh, I can practice that. Because so often we pair that with getting finished and doing
1: (laughs) work. Yes, it's so true. And the goal can be so small in order to have success.
2: Yeah.
1: And we always say success breeds success, right? So the more they're successful, the more they want to do I would love it if you
0: would share a little bit more about something that we talk about on the podcast is that learners who struggle with executive functioning skills are often two to three years developmentally behind their peers, but the executive functioning demands that we have on learners, particularly as they go from elementary school to middle school, it's quite a significant leap. It's where I see a lot of challenges in my practice. We frequently get calls from parents of sixth and seventh graders who don't know what happened, and then we throw COVID into it. So everything has sort of shifted as a result of that. But I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what normal executive skills development actually looks like, and then a little bit about what it actually is in our population that we work with.
2: Yeah, sure. So, I think I came up with this sort of framework after the last book we published. So, it's in all my workshops, but it's not necessarily in our books. We've identified 11 executive skills that we focus on, and I've divided them into two groups, which I label foundational skills and advanced skills. And the foundational skills are the ones that emerge first, Many of them you begin to see signs of even in the first years of life. I have a rough order for that, which is somewhat backed up by research, but it's also a little speculative. So response inhibition, the ability to control your impulses is the first skill to emerge, followed by working memory, followed by emotional control. Uh, the ability to manage your emotions, all of those begin to emerge in the first year of life. Flexibility, maybe somewhat later, although I'm pretty sure you can see in, some inflexible kids even in the first year of life. Uh, some of those kids who are diagnosed with colic mm-hmm. end up a number of them being inflexible kids later on. So again, that's the first year of life.
0: Oh, interesting. That's something anecdotal, right? It totally makes sense.
2: Yeah. And then uh, sustained attention and task initiation. So, the, and that's more directed towards, you know, doing work basically. So, those are the foundational skills. The advanced skills, things like organization and planning and time management and goal directed persistence and metacognition, those are later developing skills. So, when I'm working with parents and teachers of elementary school kids, what I tell them is, focus on the foundational skills Mm -hmm. because those are the skills that develop first. And I'm always saying, if you put interventions in place for those skills, even with kids who are struggling with them, you will see progress by the time they leave elementary school. If you keep the interventions in place long enough, and that's the other thing we don't respect enough. Sometimes we expect things to work fast and they don't necessarily do that. When I'm talking with parents and teachers and middle school kids, What I tell them is that if you expect those kids to be proficient at those advanced skills by middle school, you must be really frustrated. (laughs) Again, that's things like time management, planning, organization, Uh uh, goal-directed persistence. And this is typically developing kids I'm talking about now. Those skills are just emerging at the middle school level. And what we know about emerging skills is they look great one day and lousy the next. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about learning to ride a bike. You don't go from not being able to ride at all to being able to ride three miles fluidly and without falling down. Mm -hmm. No, there's a lot of falling down that goes in the early stages of learning to ride a bike. And even into freshman, sophomore year in high school, those advanced skills, many typical students are still feeling their way with that. Um, Many typical students still need a parent sort of keeping an eye on them and prompting them, hey, have you started that essay yet? What's your plan for studying for a test? Those kinds of things. Actually, let me say one more thing, then we'll talk about how the delay plays out. When I'm talking with parents or teachers of secondary level kids, middle school or high school, who have significant executive skill challenges, I give that same advice. Start with the foundational skills
1: mm-hmm.
2: because those foundational skills are building blocks for the later skills. And when you're working on task initiation and sustained attention, you're also working on time management. And chances are, it's those two pieces that are really getting in the way with time management. And in fact, a few years ago, I did a, a workshop in Georgia at a private school in Georgia where they actually want me to spend the, most of the day with kids, which was kind of fun. Usually when I go into school, they want me to, talk with teachers or parents or both. And I did that as well at this school, but they wanted me to spend most of the day talking with kids, not every kid, the kids in their learning center. So these are kids, probably the kind of kids you see, ADHD or or learning challenges. And so before I came, I asked the teachers to administer our kid version of our executive skill questionnaire to all the kids I was going to be talking with and then tabulate it and tell me what the five biggest executive skill challenges were and this was just grades six through 12, I decided I wasn't sure it would be useful for me to talk with the younger kids, but six through 12, they might be able to listen to an expert on skills and take something away. So when they sent me back that compilation, the top five executive skill weaknesses that kids in grades six through 12 were reporting were all those foundational skills. Uh, So it just reinforced me. This is where we've got to start. Now, it may be that they didn't have the metacognitive skills to realize, oh, I need metacognition and it's not working well for me. But I think the fact that they were identifying those foundational skills just said to me, This is where we need to put our time and energy. And it's not that you abandon the others. And again, at therapists, you do a lot of modeling. You do a lot of talking kids through, okay, this is what organization looks like. This is how we plan. That's really important to do. It's just that we're not shooting for kids to be proficient in those skills early on in high school. With kids with ADHD, and I say this just because Russ Barkley has been saying this for years, I consider Barkley the sort of the world's leading expert on ADHD. He maintains that kids with ADHD lag about 30% behind typically developing peers in terms of executive skills. So that's a gap that widens as kids get older. You know, a six-year-old with ADHD is more like a four-year-old, right? A nine-year-old is more like a six-year-old. A 12-year-old is more like a nine-year-old. A 15-year-old with ADHD is more like a 10-year-old. Think about the different expectations we have for fourth graders and 10th graders, because that's what kids with ADHD are struggling with when they get to high school. They're struggling with that gap, and they're struggling with the teacher and parent expectation that that gap shouldn't be there, and there must be something wrong with the kid.
0: As you're talking, I want to ask you a terminology question. And forgive me if this is a really simple question with an obvious answer. When Steph and I are on the podcast and when we're talking to our teams, we use the term executive function. Is that intentional? What is the thought behind it? Should we be changing our language on it? Or is that just preference?
2: Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that because this is how I start my workshops when I talk about there's not a lot of consensus in the field about executive skills, starting with the name and the, the more common name is executive functions, but it was intentional for us. We wanted the emphasis to be on skills. You know, skill implies whatever level you're at, you can get better at it. Function doesn't give me that same flavor. I mean, when I think about a function, I think, okay, it means use. And then I start thinking about refrigerators and copy machines, you know, these work or they don't. Work. Yeah. A lot of people, what I've seen the transition, and I'd suggest you do this, is they've talked about executive function skills.
1: We do say that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And again, it's subtle, but you can explain it. I think it's helpful for everybody to understand that, you know, skill is something you get better at. You get better at it through practice.
0: I love the way language sort of informs how we think about things, we were just talking about that earlier. I'm glad I asked that. (laughs) Yeah, I am too.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I was just taking it all in. But can you just one more time for the audience in case they weren't ready for when you said it, what are, can you just list the foundational skills again? Yes.
2: Yeah, I'd be happy to. Although most of the names are self-explanatory, response inhibition is the first one. That's the ability to stop and think before you say or do something, okay? That's impulse control or self-control. The next one is working memory. And that's the ability to hold information in mind While you're performing a complex task, but it's also holding it in mind. So for instance, if you wake up in the morning and you open the refrigerator and you see you don't have milk and you think, oh, I got to buy milk on my way home from work. If you actually remember to stop and buy milk on your way home from work, that's working memory. It's that ability to sort of hold in the radar the things you have to keep track of. And by the way, when I've done work for schools with kids with dyslexia, more complex learning disabilities, what those teachers tell me is working memory is the weakest skill for those Mm, Mm -hmm. I mean that's why they struggle with memorizing math facts or sight words or spelling words I mean all of that is sort of underlies automaticity and I mean the more repetition we apply to learning a skill the better we learn it but with kids with weak working memory they need multiples of those repetitions Mm mm-hmm
0: And I just had a baby and that's the thing that has left my brain 100% is my working memory. (laughs) So interesting
2: you should say that because, yeah, in situations of stress or information overload, very often working memory goes. Yeah, I mean, all executive skills tend to get degraded under those situations, but working memory really takes a hit. So the third executive skill is emotional control. I mean, there are different names for that one as well. Emotional regulation might be a better way of describing it, but it's the ability to manage your emotions in order to achieve goals or accomplish tasks or whatever. And then the next one is flexibility. It's hard to talk about flexibility without using some kind of metaphor. It's the ability to go with the flow to handle unexpected changes in plans or new events or new information. Emotional control and flexibility often go together. Inflexible kids often have trouble managing their emotions. Mm-hmm. And then sustained attention. So that's the ability to stick with something long enough to get it done. And one other thing I should say about sustained attention is that, you know, because I've worked for 40 years with kids with attention disorders, I've seen a lot of kids, you know, the parents have been pushed into my office by a pediatrician or a teacher because someone thinks their kid has attention problems. And the parent will say to me, my kid can't have ADD. He can play video games for hours. Well. so what I tell parents is it's not that kids can't pay attention. Kids with ADD can't pay attention. They have trouble making themselves pay attention. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to show up with video games. Where are parents going to see it? Three places, homework, chores, boring daily routines. That's where you're going to see problems with, with sustained attention. And then finally, task initiation, which is basically the opposite of procrastination, the ability to begin tasks promptly. And the, the one other thing I often remind people here is that I actually think this is the last and hardest skill to acquire. I think there are a lot of adults that struggle with, with task initiation. And interestingly enough, those same adults may be annoyed because their kids aren't getting their homework started. Enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're talking to them about, yeah, how's your t- tax, finally, uh-huh. mm-hmm. oh, for an extension. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. so those are the six foundational skills
1: amazing thank you for repeating those i do want
0: you to dig into the advanced skills a little bit but the thought has come to me and so i want to ask you now while i'm thinking of it and i have a note to remind you about advanced skills but one of the trigger words that we hear a lot from parents and it's a trigger word for us both personally and as a therapist is when the parent comes in and my kid is lazy And so the word lazy is a huge trigger word for us. It's always a signal for us that we should be getting curious instead of getting punitive. But what is your response to me sort of bringing that up?
2: It's funny. I've often said if there's if I could outlaw one word in the English language, it would be lazy. So I'm immediately mm-hmm. yes. on board with that. Many years ago, I was asked to develop a keynote, which I called Beyond Lazy and Unmotivated, and basically said, yeah. when you're using those terms, what do you... In fact, I have a whole set of terms. I might be able to quickly find them. It's the part of my workshops that people take pictures of. <laughs> Uh,
0: The no-no words? Yeah, exactly.
2: And and so let me me find it because I just think this is really helpful to think about. So instead of calling students this lazy, unmotivated, not working to potential, disruptive, oppositional, messy, tardy, forgetful, absent-minded, or lacking a work ethic, Mm-hmm. How about we describe them as having challenges in task initiation, sustained attention, response inhibition, and I go through. I mean, I'll send you that slide if you want to see it. Because
1: I'm very visual. That would be amazing. Okay. Yeah. yeah,
2: because, again, people really resonate to that. And every single one of those words, the negative words, first of all, has a corresponding executive skill on the right-hand side. But there are also terms
1: that I have heard from parents or teachers or both. It's so damaging, though. Yeah. It just sticks with you. Yeah. Even into adulthood. It becomes part of your identity that was put
0: upon you by somebody else. There's always more because we fundamentally believe that when kids can, they will. And kids want to please the adults in their life. And when they're not, we have to figure out why and we have to help them, not punish them for it because they want to please the adults.
2: Right. Exactly. And I say this in my workshops all the time. So, if you're a parent and you're hearing a teacher describe your kid as lazy, or if you're a teacher and you're hearing a parent describe their kid as lazy, what I suggest you do is gently say to them, you know what? I prefer to think of it as having problems with task initiation and sustained attention. And we need to come up with some strategies to help with that. And so shift the conversation away from the negative terms, because the nice thing about executive skill terminology is it leads you to problem solving. It leads you to, okay, so what do we do about that? Yeah. How do we help? That's the end all. What's the intervention for lazy? Interventions for task initiation, sustained attention, et cetera. And you're right. I have numerous stories, including within my own family, of people who by the time they reached adulthood, they were thinking of themselves as lazy. And that was their default. Oh well, I'm having trouble with that because I'm lazy. I'm I'm
0: lazy. And that way
1: forever. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah, it's so sad.
0: Thank you for addressing that because we couldn't be more aligned on that. And let's go back now to the advanced executive skills, if you don't mind.
2: Again, I think we still model those skills with younger kids, Uh, you know. And in fact, here's my recommendation. We teach kids that vocabulary too. That's why that second grade teacher was trying to figure out how do I tell second graders about executive skills? Because she thought if she could get that terminology into kids. So for instance, you know, a second grade teacher might say to her class, you know what, organization is a really important skill. You're going to need it for the rest of your life. So tell you what, we're going to end the day Five minutes early, and we're going to spend the last five minutes of the day tidying up our desks, making sure everything is in its place um, so that when you come in from school tomorrow, you will be ready to learn. That's called organization. That's an executive skill, and you're always going to need it. And at the secondary level, I wish when teachers are assigning long-term projects, they would say to the class, you know, here's why I'm assigning this long-term project. I want you to learn some research skills. I want you to learn some writing skills, and I want you to learn the information that you're researching. Mm -hmm. But there are two really important executive skills that go along with this that are just as important for you to be practicing. One is planning, and the other is time management. So if we could just have teachers, whenever it comes up in the classroom, let kids know here's the executive skill or skills that you need to do this task, then I think that's the way to handle it. Let's think about planning for a minute, because what I find with planning is that I mean, when I think of planning, I immediately think of long-term projects. And I decided many years ago, there's a mismatch between what grade teachers start assigning long-term projects and when we can expect kids to independently plan them. hmm So what teachers do is totally developmentally appropriate. They do the planning for kids. You know, they break down the project into subtasks and timelines and interim deadlines. And they shepherd kids through the project again. say, okay, by tomorrow, I want you to have five note cards showing me the notes you're taking for that project or whatever. And again, that's developmentally appropriate, but it fails to take the advantage of the opportunity to teach planning. So I'm always saying to teachers, you know, rather than Do the planning for kids. How about you do the planning with kids so that they see...
0: You're thinking...
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think especially with those advanced skills, so many of them, the way to help kids understand them is through think alouds. And and a therapist can do this. So I'm going to think through how I'm going to manage my homework tonight. I'm going to think about what I have to do. I'm going to take each task. I'm going to figure out how long it's going to take me to do it. I'm going to figure out when I'm going to start it. I'm going to figure out where I'm going to work. And so we're modeling that. Again, that's time management. That's planning that's task initiation and to some extent all of this feeds into goal directed persistence because anytime you're making a plan and you're committed to following through on it then you're you're working towards a goal
1: I love it so much. Those are all the things that I just love. (laughs) That's why we do what we do, right? Yes. yes. It just makes me happy.
0: (laughs) So before we sort of wrap up and continue our conversation on Patreon, what we wanted to ask is, you know, you have an audience in front of you now with our smaller Youth audience. What's the bottom line? What do you wish ed therapists, learning specialists, teachers, parents knew?
2: Okay, so it's not so much knowing as understanding. Mm. I want them to understand that there are skills that lie beneath what we're asking kids to do in school. I've called them the hidden curriculum for years. And I say that in part because if you look at any local, state, or national curriculum standards and look for explicit references to executive skills, you won't find any. And so, if they're not there, then no one's charged with teaching them. And yet, if you look at those standards and think, what skills do I need to practice in reading comprehension? A lot of it is executive skills. And so, Mm -hmm. I think if I could get, (laughs) and my husband accuses me, he said, Well, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. (laughs) To view kids' behavior through an executive skill lens, what executive skill strengths does that kid bring to the table? What are they challenged by? the tasks we're asking kids to do through an executive skill lens and then say, is there a mismatch? Is there a mismatch between the skills we expect this kid to have in terms of executive skills and the ones they actually have? And how can we get from where they are now to where we want them to be? Mm. I love it. Me too. Thank you.
0: Thank you for being here, and thank you for sharing with our audience. This has been a real treat for us. I have such a girl crush right now, and (laughs) I don't mind saying it. So if you want to hear more about our conversation with Peg Dawson, we're going to be heading on over to Patreon. I have a couple of things that I want to talk to you about in terms of how COVID has impacted what you have seen in terms of executive skills, and then I'm also interested in what sort of shift you went through as a parent and how it informed the work that you do, because now I have a baby. And I'm soaking in all the knowledge. So, yeah, yeah. Peg, would you be willing to do our signature sign off? <laughs> yeah, sure.
2: Have a great week, smarties.
0: <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Have a great week.
2: <laughs>
0: Have a great week.